0: Welcome to Pale Reflections, a proud member of the Duff Network, where we reflect on Marbo's most software work as it releases. Wait,
1: sorry, hold on. Can we do the five seconds again? I just realized my mic settings were off. I was in <laughs> church mode, which is why I would have been so echoey. Church mode. Okay, sure. Yeah, wait. Do I not sound really echoey like this?
0: Oh, you did. I didn't notice until you said it. Okay. I should be um, back to normal now. Okay. Alright, five seconds and we'll go again. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Hello and welcome to Pair Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we reflect on Wabo's most self-aware work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Dable. And we are back to talk about Backaway 5.c, Backaway 5.5, back and a great newspaper with a Sudoku in it. <laughs> uh, let's begin by uh, discussing Backway 5.C, which stands for Clem, because Clems, we're back in Clem's head, uh, which is fun. She is a, approached by a nice-looking family who just ask her for a simple favour.
1: Yeah, oh, not so much a favour. They make her an offer she can't refuse.
0: Mm. Yes, I guess. Well, they don't let her refuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's fun, isn't it? There, there's this... Cr- family and you kind of just at least I initially had the thought of like oh it's just some poor family who have kind of gotten you know under the thrall of this earring um and then it just gets more and more horrifying until we get to the pinnacle of it my favorite part where uh they they will basically do anything to get this earring but as soon as Clem says don't kill anybody anymore they're like oh fine well if you're just going to be unreasonable
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i agree there's a really fun like de-evolution of of, of things as this scene goes on because like, i started and i was like oh interesting this thing affects innocent people yes and then and then sort of like oh no okay so they seem to be others but you know they've been pretty nice about this and then yeah. then they just turn into like full-on murder monsters um it's yeah it, it's like a very fun ride that we get sort of taken on there uh as this sort of descends further and further um and yeah, as he said, uh like I love the bit where <laughs> she's like, I just want a life, and they're like, Oh, we can do that. That's easy. Yeah. Good. And then
0: <laughs> What kind the, of life the, would you like? Yeah, it, <laughs>
1: it becomes quick that they're gonna kill <sighs> someone. It's so good. Um yeah, I tried to see if these things were like any sort of existing mythological creature mm. while I was basing them on I, I couldn't find anything. So if anybody has any ideas, hit us up. The, the the closest I sort of came to finding anything is there's a Korean goddess called Eopsin. Mm. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that even remotely right, but um, it was like a black snake that was associated with, like, hoarding wealth and, and mm. stuff and getting wealthy, so that seemed appropriate to these folks. Yeah, well, it
0: definitely had a bit of a, like, religious vibe to it, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, the... I mean, the facts we sort of know about them are they don't like water. They carry like sixty thousand dollars in their RV. Um, they breathe a lot, and they have a connection to this black snake business. Mm. So, and that's I think that goddess they were like offering to let her meet was Eopson.
0: Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, they clearly have some connection to some kind of goddess thing um yeah so clem rejects this family you know outsmarts them continues on her way uh looking for daniel and as she as she is uh she stumbles across guilla may slowly bleeding in his cave hmm.
1: i i was worried for a sec when we saw all this blood but then he does say he's healing and i remember in daniel's interlude daniel thought of it as a non-fatal blow mm. so i think guilla is just being a bit dramatic here with how much blood he's allowing himself to bleed um, i don't know
0: yeah yeah it's interesting he's i i was gonna say bleeding out but he is healing right he's just kind of doing it in a very dramatic way i guess
1: yeah like he, he yeah setting the scene for when clem shows up i suppose because he's got this sword fucking ready to go in the middle of the room um mm. as daniel would say he's very extra Mm. mm. yeah definitely um but yeah, it's funny how quickly Clem finds this cave as well. Like, Bristow talked a bunch about how he was, like, getting the aware and, like, sort of muddying them up a bit, like, you know, giving some of the Gilded Lily powers to Sharon and Daniel and, and the others were getting, like, you know, sort of this bleed-through effect. Um, And you can sort of see that here. Like, Clem, she keeps getting distracted, first of all. Like, she notes, it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. I meant to be finding Daniel. And then she just sort of walks straight into the fairy cave. Like that's that feels very Daniel to me. That she was like, you know, yeah, getting distracted and then just stumbling into face shit. Mm. Mm. Yeah, um,
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right. It, it's it, they're really just very effective at getting exactly where they want to go. <laughs> um, yeah, and,
1: and and part of me feels like that's that's the Clem in them. But I just, I I find that interesting because it definitely makes them a much more effective team and I can't help but like tie that back to the Can of Tears a little bit. Like, you know, is that what's happening there? Or if not, why? Like, you know, it's just Mm. the taking people with like these sorts of magical things that have been done to them or that have happened to them and Mm. softening their edges and evening them out a bit actually kind of seems like it could be good if it wasn't Bristow doing it.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs>
1: if if they were self organized, maybe.
0: Yeah, or if somebody um,
1: was doing it with an eye to actually making their lives better.
0: Mm, yeah, um, it, a fun note during this interaction with Gilamay is he's he he kind of defaults back to his mysterious mentor role, which is great. <laughs> he which he, is the same role he's obviously been playing for for Lucy, kind of questioning and giving hints, but never quite explaining things, which is exactly what he does for Clem as well.
1: Yeah, a fairy is kind of exactly the sort of person who you want to walk someone like Clem along these lines, Mm. because he's he's so good at even when he doesn't tell her things, he's clearly like implanting thought or patterns of thought in her head. Like he's constantly sort of suggesting, you know, things like, "Oh, people list, people tell you things if you listen," and just like all this stuff. Like you should just be asking questions. Like he doesn't tell her anything, but like I could. I can get the sense that he's making things harder for people like Bristow down the line.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you can kind of see some of the pieces that he's put into place, uh, unraveling in Clem's mind as as um as she's you know going through the rest of this chapter. Um. Yeah. Or
1: you even know, the next. Or is yes. It, is it, yeah. No. It's later on where somebody's like somebody's like oh don't don't worry about what we just said about missing sarcasm. And Clem has this sort of moment where she's like, I'm going to think about that later. <laughs> and mm. I can just imagine Gilamay like doing a little fist pump.
0: Well, there's, and there's a, there's a moment where Clem leaves the cave and she thinks, I still have so many questions, but I don't think I'll come back to this guy. <laughs> which I just <laughs> thought was kind of like, nice work, Gilamay. You really toed that line perfectly. Um, yeah. He gives Clem a mysterious package, which we'll get into later. And yeah, so basically the gist of what he tells Clem is uh, he talks about privilege, right? Like almost explicitly, he he says, hey, some people are born with stuff and some as a kind of, you know, universal cost, whether you believe that or not, have to struggle. Um, and Clem, with her mysterious gifts, is born to struggle, but don't give up. You'll come to, to understanding soon.
1: Yeah. Um. And like, obviously, you're right, that, that metaphor is sort of so blatant that even clem calls it out in the text she's like i don't care about politicians and celebrities and stuff and i was like whoa hold on there clem you mm-hmm. can't just you can't just break the fourth wall like that <laughs> but um i yeah i mean i i do find this speech really interesting it's obviously going to tie into all the stuff with daniel and verona and and we'll talk about that when both of those two come up i think but um because yeah i i guess yeah i feel like this is a, a really important thing for someone for someone like Clem to hear because if she has this sort of gilded liliness or whatever, like this sort of curse that was put on her by the universe. Like, even if you take down some of the bullshit like Alexander and stuff, y- you know, if people like Clem are getting cursed and there's no cure, like you can make society as egalitarian as as, as you can, and there's still gonna be people like like Clem who are just gonna suffer more. Hmm. If that makes sense, so it's like, yeah, I like it's it's a really important if message, even if it's not exactly what we all want to hear. I suppose. Mm, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I, I, it's interesting as well because Clem doesn't quite seem to get much out of it. You know, like she kind of starts to get a hint of what Gilamay is saying, but it's again, it feels like he's kind of putting seeds in there and and knowing that they will grow.
1: Yeah, I, I, I definitely think she she sort of ties it in to to the Daniel stuff, obviously. But um, you're right. There's not that sort of moment of uh, like I can do this. I'm gonna like push through. There's just this sort of I guess subtle recognition of what Guillaume is saying that like she there will be something to look forward to, and she doesn't she doesn't sort of take a moment to process that from memory. But like it seems to work because she does go back to fighting and and looking forward and and trying to get Daniel you know, back on her side and stuff. Mm. Yeah.
2: Like, yeah. Yeah, true. But,
1: like, Because I guess, you know, the whole point of all this is it's just like, I feel like that was sort of the big thing for me is this sense of like, you have to keep pushing forward and looking for the good stuff. It was like when Avery found Snowdrop. Yeah. She was like, I'm going to keep looking for the good things in the past, like Snowdrop. Like, just, like, life's going to be shit and hard and unfair and like, tend, like o- alongside trying to fix that, you also need to make sure that you are finding your own happiness.
3: Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, you're right. It, and I guess the point of what Gilma is trying to do here isn't necessarily to help Clem. It's just to, to manipulate things to go in the way that he wants them to. Um, well, so I guess both. he did I a hope good job. It's both. Yeah, it, it could be both, but it's not necessarily both. Right?
1: Sure. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I think Gilmay's message as well because you know we're talking about how this applies to clem we'll, we'll talk about how it applies to daniel and verona as well um isn't gillamay the person who's about to sort of sink into the winter court because he's run out of stuff to do yes like it's it's a bit ironic that the guy who's like hey it gets better is the <laughs> one who is is kind of you know the the one who's about to give up seemingly like i that's that's sort of a fan theory that i've started treating as as you know or do i try i mean because you know we got the confirmation he's only got his two adventures left or whatever um yeah like i, I don't know i'm this just feels like a big wrinkle to me in the where does where's Guillaume heading because it's bizarre that like the guy who's about to sink into the winter court is is the one who's telling everyone hey you know don't give up keep fighting the experience in itself is worth it
2: mm.
0: yeah yeah and of course we'll get to more of this discussion uh
1: next chapter <laughs> <laughs> yes, we've got various angles to to look at look at this through. Mm. Um, also quickly, uh, should we talk about the earring? Yeah, the yeah. Uh, magical earring that uh makes people like her when she's wearing it, or try to steal it when she's not.
0: It's good, isn't
1: it? And it's um,
0: we see a little bit of how it behaves when it's in her ear throughout this chapter. Yeah, yeah. it's um, yeah, interesting.
1: I like it as this sort of uh it, it's like the essence of expensive jewelry kind of blown out of proportion which is exactly how magic in this world works like if you think about the symbolism of expensive jewelry jewelry at least to me or or through a certain lens or whatever it's like you know when you wear it it's all about impressing people and getting people to like you mm. um and then like when you when you're not wearing it it's basically just like a target for to get robbed <laughs> Um. And and you know, like how many movies are fucking centered around someone stealing like a precious gem, right? Mm. Uh so and even I think Kilmay says when she is wearing it, there's a hollowness to the the connections she'll make. Like, you know, since it's like if people only like you because you have like diamond earrings or something, that's probably not the foundation of the strongest like friendship. Yeah.
0: Um yeah, I I think it's especially punishing for Clem with the fact that I mean she we've heard her mention this kind of I guess fling that she had that felt like it could be more um and now we've got this earring that makes people kind of want to please her and serve her, right? Um I don't know, it just feels like it's you know, the yeah. universe giving her a big fuck you. <laughs>
1: I mean, it is very concerning that it's, like, I think Gillamay was like, yeah, you should probably only use this once or whatever, and she uh, she sort of ends this whole thing with, I'm going to keep it. Um, So, that yeah, that bodes not great, but uh, I could see just how she would fall into this trap because the appeal of this thing is just, like, you know, it's going to make things easier for her. Mm. Like, it'll smooth the tracks. Like, you can't walk past that. I, I can, yeah, it, that is very tempting.
2: mm yeah, I don't yeah. think
1: she would have to use it on her her partner. Well, person.
0: you know, of course she wouldn't have to, uh, but it's—I don't know. I, I We we hear that the putting it in a box is enough to diffuse it completely, but I—I'm just—I don't know. It's the kind of thing where <laughs> once you've used it, I worry that it would just have kind of a permanent vibe around you of it. You know?
1: Oh, it seems very addicting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Definitely. Um. so yeah uh, Clem uh, heads out to continue looking for Daniel and is picked up by a driver along the way and I think this is almost certainly the earring right yeah. like just somebody yeah. randomly being like oh let me give you a lift and even at the <laughs> end they seem to be kind of a little bit enamored no, with go. Clem
1: <laughs> yeah this person is just like way too okay with everything Clem is presenting but it's mm. just like oh uh, where do you want to go north okay <laughs> like, if i picked up someone in the middle of the night and all this shit was going down and they're like can you take me north that's that's probably when i would be like yeah this isn't gonna work
0: <sighs> uh, yep
1: um, yeah but as well like because we actually kind of skipped over like she didn't just run into that family on the way to guillemay like there was a fucking weird dog seahorse monster in the river Um, she got attacked by some other guy and his dog Um, like she was just being bombarded with others and then as soon as she forces the earring through her ear which is not pierced um, which got to me a lot more than a lot of the other horrifying things in this story Um, you know Mm. as soon as she puts it on suddenly it's just you know the world completely turns around like of course she's going to get like addicted to using this thing
0: Mm. yeah of course you would right I don't know it's like a make everyone be nice and friendly to me device.
1: Yeah. Especially like after how things were when she was just holding it. Like it's such a massive turnaround.
2: <clears throat>
1: yeah. Um, so yeah, Clem
0: arrives at the scene and uh, starts conversing with the Kenneteers.
1: Uh, yeah. And I, I really like how we're kind of seeing the back half of this action scene from Clem's perspective, like from someone who has no clue. It's kind of like in 1.Z when we saw the kennedys uh, leap into action from gabe's perspective like it's just kind of fun like uh, we get to do a bit of detective work figuring out that like lucy's been setting off goblin bombs Mm -hmm. and um yeah yeah i don't know it's just like clem casts this very different lens of the fight than what we're used to and it's it's fun kind of getting to flex our knowledge of the world by interpreting it
2: Mm.
0: yeah yeah
1: true (laughs) <laughs> yeah there's
0: a few like bomb things throughout this and Clem's just like what the hell but we kind of know
1: what's going on in the background um, because I think they say one of the one of the things they say is like oh I've only got like one ass blaster left and one of the first things that happens when Clem arrives on scene is like all the people are running and I think they I think it says they were holding their asses so like <laughs> oh, I think does, the ass blaster I didn't notice that I think the ass blaster like bakes everyone explosive. Made everyone shit their pants. <laughs> it's like that. But, yeah, aye we, aye we don't know. It's, it's just so, it's, it's such a fun and different way of engaging with like this insane fight scene. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah.
0: Um, uh, speaking of fun things, Clem arrives and starts explaining the earring saying, wearing it makes people like me or something. And Avery's response is, Oh, <laughs> that explains it. Whew. <laughs> um which is great thirsty avery
1: come on avery <laughs> um yeah this chapter has a has like a handful of absolutely fantastic lines um we'll get to daniel's fan- like just awesome one in a bit but like we skipped over guillemay's one where uh Clem is just sort of like w- why do you need me and dan to leave and guillemay's like well on top of other things he's currently stabbing people like me <laughs> It's just. Mm such a good answer, especially for us as the audience with all the other contexts, because even Clem just sort of has to be like, yeah, fair enough, like, can't argue with that logic. <laughs> yep, fair enough. Um, uh, So, yeah, uh,
0: they're, they're chasing after Daniel now, and they kind of find their way into this tower, which is basically Van Gogh's starry night, right? Like, this is... As I was I, I didn't kind of realize until my second read through, but what I was picturing was exactly the painting Starry Night, where it's this big black tower kind of blending into this starry sky above this kind of small town. Almost exactly it is that. To the extent that it after I realized this, it kind of feels intentional.
1: I, I was not very familiar with this painting, like in, until you wrote this in your notes, like I Googled it. I was only familiar with the actual starry part of the sky. Mm. Um and so I, yeah, I went and looked it up and you're right. It's like a giant spire over a small town. Like it, it, it definitely fits.
0: Mm. I wonder if it's intentional. Well, both confirm. Uh, we'll see. Um, <laughs> but
1: yeah. Uh, basically, the the TLDR of of reentering this this scene is uh, operation stop Daniel. Yes, it's
0: not going very well. No. Um. No. Yeah. He's uh, he's kind of made this Fey Tower that has taken form. And is like, warping the hostages, right? Um, basically turning them into uh, homages to a, a powerful fairy, what it seems to me.
1: Yeah, just sort of turning this into, uh, like, even more of the fairy court. Like, like that was sort of what came up in, in last week's chapters, was Daniel was morphing that street into a kind of shitty reflection of the Dark Spring Court. And this yes. is just, like, the next step up from that yes
0: yeah um i i mean it's horrifying right there's this young girl who is like unraveled in a very creepy way
1: (laughs) yeah i even after the second time reading it i'm not 100% sure i understand exactly what happened to the poor girl but um i mean it's not good um Mm. yeah like there's just it's just such an escalation over what we saw and especially seeing it through clem's perspective like again you're just sort of looking at all this and you're just like what the fuck like how what can they do against all of this like it seems so like just insane. Mm. Yeah. Um
0: yeah. Uh there's a lot of insect imagery, a lot of like unsettling kind of uh, majesty, I guess you would call it. Um mm. Yeah, creepy. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, Clementine uh clementine what is she in orange clementine interrupts the song and is kind of punished for it uh she she gets dangled over the edge and then you know falls slash is pushed
1: yeah like well, yeah i mean i i guess because we're kind of this is like a few thousand words of just insanity that happens in this tower um and I, like i guess we're gonna have to just skip over trying to explain what the fuck is happening and for all of it because this the, I think the geometry and everything of, of all this kind of intentionally doesn't make complete sense. Um, But there's so many good little bits snuck into this as well. Like, you know, Cle- Clementine notices how Avery gets the assist on Verona's save. And just after everything we talked about with Avery last week, it seemed perfect. And then, you know, Verona even does the like, yeah, we work best and we're together. And Avery gets a little choked up at at hearing that because mm. she really needed... To hear that from someone else as well as herself i think <laughs> yeah um, so it, it's just a testament to like i, I feel like this is a recurring thing for wild Boat, but even when this bizarre fight scene in a fairy tower is going on there's still little nice character moments always mixed in
0: mm. yeah yeah often i mean it, that's the thing about this too, right is they they do just have this natural constant awe of supporting each other even in very tense moments yeah yeah um so yeah daniel it's kind of confirmed that daniel's singing has at least done something to bring forth you know a fairy or made this into an actual fairy realm an actual fairy has come through and now it's like getting serious and it kind of made me it to what we first saw with when clementine got Clem, when Clem got here, with like um, the Carmine Beast aura making her, pe- you know, ratcheting up her gilded lilies shenanigans, and I guess we only see Daniel in this circumstance. I I doubt he's this strong always, but I was kind of floored by how powerful he seems to be.
1: <laughs> yeah, the 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 moment where they're sort of like, "Oh, he's getting help," I was like, "Oh, thank God!" Like, because that's terrifying if this is all Daniel. Um, mm. But, yeah, I guess uh, at least one fairy from the Dark Spring caught whiff of, of what was happening and was like, "Oh, this is fun, mm. um, and, you know, I guess funded his show. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, th-
0: this show is going really off the rails. Uh, Clem theorises that Daniel's kind of inside the tower, uh, and so they kind of bail after all the hostages are more or less free. They destroy it with a goblin stink bomb, and it all collapses. Uh, except for this one fairy who remains.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so there's the sort of a little reveal here that, that gets set up a little bit, but it seems like this place wasn't as big as it appeared. Like, mm-hmm. Daniel was using mirrors to make the tower look bigger than it was. Yes. Which I, I just love as a... Like, we knew the tower was fake. Like, we knew it was sort of all this stuff being glammed up. it up. But I still underestimated how fake it was like just you know this there's so many layers of fakery and fuckery mm. with, with this that yeah caught me off guard like i just you know i love these stories so much that you can even fit in a little twist like this where i'm like oh, of course the glamour tower wasn't as big as i thought it was mm. yeah well yeah of course it's uh it's just more shenanigans right Yep. Um,
0: So this remaining fairy, we get a description of him, and he has long black hair. Uh, In fact, his hair is jet black and so perfect it could be mistaken for the obsidian of the spire's construction, and he's also wearing a black silk kind of dress outfit. Um, And I thought this was very interesting because it kind of reveals that the the hostages that were being transformed were – more or less being transformed into this man, right? Like the hair stuff, the silk stuff, very much the imagery of this man. Kind of reveals that he was the one that was behind the tower. And I'm, I, I guess I'm kind of curious if he and Daniel had some kind of relationship that made that made him the one that Daniel kind of called out to, or, or if they've never met before, or what it is. Um, just I'm sure there's some horrifying story there.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess if we assume that this fairy showed up uh when like you know that's uh, you know if this fairy showed up when daniel started getting to the point where he could build towers and and shit like when it really escalated then like yeah if he was getting help from this fairy it would make sense that some of the stuff he constructed was in its image because it it, like you know that was his whole thing remember with like marissa and guillemay he was trying to impress them so that they would like take him in Mm -hmm. uh and that's like so you know kind of playing to the ego of the fairy from dark spring who popped in to help him out, you know, like mm. that might've been what he was doing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah,
0: we get a, a, an emotional moment with Daniel and this fairy where Daniel considers going with him, but ends up choosing his mundane life and his, you know, uh, not to, not to denigrate them, but his mundane friends. <laughs>
1: mundane in the not explicitly magical Uh, or like
0: yeah exactly
1: um yeah i i mean this is this is such a beautifully heartbreaking scene um i especially because i think till now i'd mostly just been thinking of daniel as a sort of uh like addict of some kind like like mostly sort of drugs Mm. um but the the way that this is framed and and with what we've learned about the 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 dark spring court in the meantime it becomes pretty clear that it's a bit more nuanced than that in that like he's also fitting this sort of idea of like a a a child star who you know got brought in and, and promised this brilliant life of fame or whatever and then tossed aside when he hit puberty or whatever mm. which kind of make makes sense with how like clumsy he was in his in his own chapter. Yeah. And um yeah, and, and you know, like those two things aren't always separate. There are a lot of child stars who've like run into drug problems and stuff and so yes. I don't think it's a coincidence that those two things like got a bit mixed up for me here, but um yeah, it's just a slightly different angle on this whole thing because he's not just chasing glamour as a substance, but he's he's chasing like the importance he felt in the court or the fact or the purpose Mm. um he he explicitly calls out to not wanting to be a burden here which um feels very targeted to to one of our main characters i won't say which um well it is very well that's the thing right like this is
0: very we had the parallel between lucy's concern about verona and her tying that to daniel and now we have Daniel literally making the choice between having connections with, with you know, his human friends and family or diving headfirst into magic but
1: losing himself along the way.
0: And that's not, I mean, that's almost as explicitly a parallel to a situation as it can get, right?
1: I mean, yeah, absolutely. And that was sort of like when I opened 5.5 and saw it was a Verona chapter, I was like, well yeah it had to be and of course you know that we started to have that chat in the chapter because i was like it's just such a natural follow-on from what happens with daniel here because yeah i mean essentially kem clem makes this case that like you know you you can get this fame or whatever but it's not actually what you want you're sort of doing it for them or, or because they've told you it's important and it feels easier but like you're gonna lose your people along the way and and yeah as you said like he he chooses the people and, and that's important because his big problem was he didn't want to be a burden. Mm. And uh, yeah. Verona goes through the same thing in a minute.
0: Yes, indeed.
1: Um, Yeah. Uh,
0: Yeah. I, I, I next chapter, we don't see Verona make the connection to herself, but we definitely make it as the listeners. And I think Lucy makes it because she, you know, get, yeah. puts it together. Um, so yeah, we'll get to that next chapter, I suppose.
1: Yeah. Um. In, in wider news, uh, I'm just going to read this entire uh bit. Daniel has a so when Daniel makes this decision, and it's such a powerful moment, he 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 makes this decision that he'd rather have his friends and family than this, this hollow fame that wears him out, and it's very powerful. And then, uh, I, I think it's Verona sort of mentions Sharon is waiting for them. And Daniel's just like, oh, Sharon's waiting, Clementine. What joy, what wonder, Whoopee hooray, this drabby, sad, frustrating world is welcoming me with our favorite person in existence. Mm-hmm. Sharon, my heart bursts. However could I have dreamed that, uh, of that other life when Sharon is here?
3: <laughs> it's pretty um, good, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a champion. Um, it's the start of Daniel's complete turnaround in my head from scary to just hilarious. But, um, I think it's also great because like I-, I feel like this captures that lesson Gilmay is imparting on fucking everyone um here very well because it's like you know it-, it is so perfect that Daniel like chooses not that life and is immediately confronted with Sharon because that's just like the worst part of this life. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, he can still go looking for the joy, like in this case by being a sarcastic asshole. Um <laughs> but yeah you know like just even despite sharon there's still hope for a better future (sighs) yeah yeah it's it's some classic some classic sarcasm there i love it yeah also i think verona again is like oh sharon has a head wound and lucy's the only one who asks about it daniel Mm -hmm. and glam don't give a shit (laughs) Yeah, it was just a a nice little bit for me where I was just like, okay, good. You know, nobody really cares. Lucy's just like checking it's not too serious. But (laughs) Daniel and Clem are like, whatever. (sighs) Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah. It's just very. I mean, this and next chapter, Sharon's plight is just completely (laughs) ignored by everybody, and it's great. (laughs) Yep um so yeah they, they they regroup and and uh not only is everyone here but also melissa is here because that note from before was to melissa's parents telling them to tell melissa to come here i guess um <laughs> <Yeah>. and melissa <laughs> looks at clem and clem looks at charles and they all get visions of their future
1: i mean yeah this is this is like a brilliant move by gilome um but it's also just exciting to three, see charles through fresh eyes again cuz i'd forgotten how guiltily funny it is to just see him get roasted by someone when they first meet him, like it's just always is he a creep he's balding, like you know he's scruffy, like I just don't like him mm. um, it, you know it it gets us back in the zone of of what Charles is so quickly as well as just I shouldn't laugh at it, but I do, <laughs> yeah, um oh charles so yeah this is a great play by gillamay
0: and it's like a slam dunk right like get them all to forcefully confront their futures to see what horrifying paths they're going down what a great way to deal with the melissa and clem situation at the same time it's perfect
1: (laughs) yeah it's it's so good just giving each of them someone to point at and be like but wait it gets worse uh It it, it's also like it it fits into this overall lesson of the chapter in a really fun way as well because it's it's like a bit of an inversion where it's just like you know if you get tangled in this stuff you know you won't have that hope for the future like you know you know if you if you take this risk you went you risk ending up like Charles or ending up like Clem like the closer you go to this stuff the closer you kind of get to being in a situation where it's all the grind and you don't have that uh, you know those moments of brightness on the future yeah yeah um i mean it
0: does it work is the question does this dissuade either melissa or clem i think the answer is no
1: but I, it that, comes uh, close
0: yeah
1: i got the impression of of no at least for melissa mm. um i mean like Clem brings up the the interesting counter argument of like hey the kenneteers seem to be doing all right um but charles sort of mentions that's because they have each other um and that that feels like because community and like teamwork have been so important to this story like everything we encounter has some sort of crew or group they're part of like you've got like kennet as an institution you've got the blue heron institute like it's all about how these groups are working together and so that feels Mm. like it will sort of be a core part of this story like as it ends is like how the kennedys have done better because they have each other and i mean we see that every we're about to see a huge instance of it next chapter Mm. um so clearly what we need to do is awaken clem with daniel and sharon
0: Mm, yeah um yeah. Uh, I wonder if what Guillaume has just done is made a kind of Charles' Angels with uh you know Melissa, Clem, Sharon, and Daniel all teaming up together.
3: <laughs>
0: what a terrible team that would be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I
1: mean yeah, Melissa's gonna be interesting that like, especially after the newspaper, I feel like we're definitely gonna be doing stuff with Melissa soon. And I have no idea where that's gonna go, so I can't wait to to see. Mm. Um but yeah, because I, I think it may be I think what what Gilmay tried to do here maybe works on Clem. I don't think it worked on Melissa at all. Um mm. but yeah. It, yeah. Like I I yeah, I just I keep coming back to this idea of it like it's people actually genuinely supporting each other, not just by rules, but by being good people. But like, that just keeps coming up in this story, and I keep sort of coming back to that as an idea for where these things might be going, mm. Mm. Yeah. like Daniel and Clem, in a way they choose to, they choose to stay with the people they know and love rather than their alternatives, and that's kind of why it feels good-ish. Yes, yeah, for sure. Um,
0: so uh, they, we get this. Then we get to a, a kind of extension of that previous scene where Verona is trying to talk Clem out of being a tenant, but it doesn't seem to
1: take. It's so frustrating. Clem, don't do it. Don't go back to Bristow. It's a terrible plan. Yes. Um,
0: uh, There's this part where Verona says they're talking about how Bristow makes it hard for Clem to leave, and Verona says, you know, more than that, more than rent or, or utilities or whatever, he makes it hard to leave in the same way you find things. And that's just such a good thing to say to Clem as a way of like, hey, this isn't. You're being like not just manipulated, but like magically or whatever influenced. <laughs> I. That's such a horrifying thought, and the fact that that isn't enough to break Clem out of her her, you know her her claim by Bristow, is means that I think nothing could,
1: right? Yeah, and that like yeah you're right this is sort of the point where i was like oh like we're sort of seeing Bristow's claim in action because she her mind keeps sort of turning to the reasons to stay um and and the fact that it beat out her getting all those answers she wanted because on the one hand i'm like oh this is good like she's she's listening and she's not going to endanger herself i feel like that is meant to be something we sort of consider the right call of just worrying about her own life and not digging deeper into this but then on the other hand i'm sort of like but she could have done it and not not gone back to bristow Mm -hmm. (laughs) that part feels like a loss Mm -hmm. so yeah hopefully at the very least like they've sort of planted seeds of doubt like clem i think will be a lot less pro bristow when she gets there uh shelly's obviously going to have conversations uh with bristow and uh sharon they say some of her anger will be directed at bristow I think when he can't answer her questions, uh, he will start to find Sharon on the wrong side of his stick. I mean, I hope so. Um, yeah. We'll
0: have to see. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting because, yeah, Clems, you know, she rejects the answers that she's been looking for. It, she just never, I don't know, we'll have to see. Uh, and, of course, this comes back to something that we haven't had resolved yet, which is Verona's little bet with, uh, with yeah. Bristow as well. Um, Although it's an interesting we, one because and I guess we didn't touch on this when it first came up, there's no time frame on when Bristow has to regret it by, right so really Verona's in an unlosable position there because uh, Bristow can regret it at some point, but if he doesn't regret it, that just means he hasn't regretted it yet, you know
1: <laughs> so, yeah,
0: uh, maybe Verona's got a good point
1: but if i if I were Bristow, I think. Like the way I would sort of get around that is is basically at any point where Verona's saying you don't regret it yet, that's basically an implication of this isn't over, which means mm. they're sort of still in conflict. And I think if, if they're still in conflict, that presumably means Bristow can like go after her without any kind of stuff. So it's sort of like she sort of has to cop being Gainsaid um, to end hostilities between them at this point. And the thing is, we don't quite understand what that will look like in terms of how much power does she lose for how long. If mm. she's getting her power from the Kenneth others, does that mean it affects them as a conglomerate? Like, how how bad is it? Where exactly does the power loss come from? Yeah, like, I, I don't know. I, I actually kind of hope she does get Gatestay just so we can see it and understand it a bit more. Yeah
0: yeah true we still don't really understand gainsaying right yeah um so uh yeah the the tenants finally start to leave but um, clem drops a little bit of a hint on her way out which uh spirals out into wait 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 we need to deal with this (laughs) which is uh the red fur the carmine cube that she found
1: i i love moments like this in stories these sort of mic drop moments stories get to do where you you take dramatic irony and just like drop it on the characters just you know that moment of like we knew this was coming and just to have Clem so casually be like oh yeah and there was some red fur and and then just like have all the other characters be like wait what like hold up what like that they're just always so fun um and this is a very good one yes (sighs) yeah um it's I mean, it's weird
0: that it was just found by three rando teenagers, right? I mean, we'll talk about that more as we go. um, But there's just, it's just such an interesting wrinkle. Just an interesting wrinkle, isn't it?
1: I I was wondering if that is like because of Clem, because she's got a whole Gilded Lily thing, which is kind of about putting these items in the hands of an innocent person like her. Mm. Is it sort of like, you know, she rejected it, but then there was this sort of sense from the universe's perspective of like, well, we've sort of opened it up to the innocence now, like, you right. Know, and, and they had an easier time just sort of stumbling into it than they might've without right. Clem being around.
0: Yeah. That makes sense to me. I mean, Clem does think, I mean, we've had hints of bad things happen when she rejects, um, hmm. you know, she rejects gifts from the universe and that's pretty much explicitly what she did with the common cube. So, Maybe it's Clem's
1: fault that these three are dead. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to go that far, but she's um, <laughs> like through a certain lens. Sure, um, no,
0: no, I wouldn't go that far either. But you know, um, just just the the universe kind of punishing Clem for not taking it, I guess.
1: Yeah, or, or yeah, not so much punishing it It's just like her being around just sort of opened it for innocents to pick up, and it just it's just nice enough to give her first dibs when it does so. Hmm. Yeah. Um and that's the end of Backaway five point
0: C. Uh next up we go into five point
1: five. Uh where we're in Verona's. You head. wanted to say you wanted to say five point V there, didn't 5. you? Five
0: point V, yes. The, the ones, <laughs> that's the next one. Um <clears throat> yeah, uh Backaway five point five. We're in Verona's head uh and Verona and the gang are heading out with the tenants to check out where Clem saw the Carmine Cube
1: uh yes and we're immediately sort of thrown back into verona's perspective uh with like all this opening stuff just really hitting us with how tired she is in like every way and I, I, like i i found this was important because it's been a couple of weeks for us but in this night alone verona's had her trip through the ruins she's had the alpi nightmare she's had that fight with the ghost all the shit that just went down with daniel like this night has been just Emotionally torturing Verona over and over again, Uh and she's in a very bad spot.
0: Mm. Yes, um, yeah, she's pretty unhappy. Uh, she's been holding on to the thought of magic school tomorrow, which, <laughs> and I'm just kind of like, sure. that—that's no, there's no way that's happening, right?
1: Like, th- isn't the town really fucked up right now? Are they just going to ditch even? <laughs> Even if they did leave now to get back to the school, it's like two a.m. Like she's not; she's gonna fall asleep in class, right? Like she did just, yeah, yeah. I wait, like, yeah. I just, I mean, you can really see how out of it she is. Just with like she, she's actually taken like her mask and everything off. Mm-hmm. And she's choosing to be more human. She actually focuses on like all the bright things around. Where she's like, "Oh, the stars are bright," which is you know normally she's like, "The darkness is my home." um Mm. so she's just she talks about how far she's retreating into herself and you sort of really see that with all this stuff going on in the text um and then yeah she she holds on to that one hope of magic school tomorrow and i'm just like oh this doesn't feel healthy if that's all you've got yeah it's uh yeah i i mean yeah
0: well, I would say I'm worried about Verona, but we kind of get the resolution of this <laughs> to an extent within this chapter. So, thank yeah, God. Yeah, true. Um, um. So, yes. Uh, okay, actually, wait. Here's another thing I want to point out, which is uh, there's there's a comment made by, I think, by Clem or by Daniel saying, oh, this whoever this person was referring to the comet beast must have been something special. And everyone kind of chimes with, like, oh, yeah, she was. And... Um, Charles's one is begrudging, and I know they have a history. But again, I'm just kind of like, everything Charles does is so suspicious.
1: It, it is how is this? I honestly didn't get that vibe. I'm I'm curious to hear from you. Like what? Just
0: what, the, the fact that he's about begrudging this? about it is just I don't know. Like, just always suspicious to me in the in in uh, how he thinks about the Carmine Beast. I guess.
1: I mean, she did reject his like appeal to not be like the shit stain of the universe. So uh
3: Charles I, I talks about like Alexander
0: is, is Charles there. talking about Alexander Belanger in this chapter and is not this is more uh venom than he has for Alex, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's true.
3: That's true.
1: I don't know. I yeah. I it's just because I like I saw someone else. Recently, who was theorizing that charles is is you know the mastermind or the leader of of all this um and I just I don't know if that if that is what I believe, but I'm also certainly going to be wrong about who done it, so mm. I don't know,
0: yeah true, uh true that you'll be wrong, I mean we'll all be wrong, we'll see <laughs> <laughs> um so yes, and then of course we get more Sharon in the background, just no one paying attention to her i i wonder if she's gonna try and come back to kenneth just to fuck with people there's a bit of a hint at that towards later in the chapter but i don't think it's gonna happen but oh my god just she's she's just so having a bad time
1: hopefully like all the shit that goes down with Bristol or whatever will just kind of distract her from doing it too soon but like i i feel like she would be back it would be weird if she didn't try at some point Mm. um but you're right it is just kind of funny like just these moments where like Verona's sight disappears so she sort of has to like look at John and be like can you just just fuck with her a bit so that I can see again um and, and yeah she's just constantly always screaming she's like baffled that Clem and Daniel would like betray her like this and they seem to be the two who give the least shit that she's suffering right now <laughs> <It's> like, yes <laughs> just... her best friend and Daniel <laughs> That must um, be a reality
0: yeah. check for her. Hopefully,
1: yeah. The, uh, yeah I yeah. I think I made that joke in my live read where I was like, if if Sharon like breaks up with Clem as BFFs after this, then I think the triple have been worth it. Mm. Yes. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Da- Daniel's also <laughs> again just back to being like fun and not scary. Like he has this other great conversation with Avery and Lucy about them being teenage girls, where like. Lucy's like we're not little girls and he's like well you you are like that's that's why he's so nimble um mm. uh, unless you're not girls and Avery's like we are girls and then like Lucy has to like elbow her. it's just it's fun yes <laughs>
0: <laughs> Ah, good stuff um so yeah Verona goes off to to gather some clues by just talking to a face in a drain presumably some kind of teenage mutant ninja turtle
1: Oh, see, I, I went for a different reference. I, I was going to say, we all float down here. Yes,
0: true. Yes, it's the little boy from it. Um, Yeah, uh, which, so she just kind of, okay, well, here's the line. <clears throat> Vrona walked down the road until she found a drain. She bent down and looked through with her sight. And that's just, that's all, she, she's just like, oh, I'll just go ask some random other in a drain. Oh, there'll be one over
1: there, I'm sure. And then she's right, like... What is this? How, how can it work?s Now, is that is that explicit? Isn't the ground club covered in blood? Maybe she just sort of assumed there'd be something there. True. Like, I don't know. if She explicitly went to find a drain spirit, or just kind of went,
0: uh, went to find a passerby and was like, "Oh, I'll just go look in that drain."
1: <laughs> um. Yeah, but I mean, like, yeah, it 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 is classic Verona, where she just sees this weird meat thing in the drain, and she's like. I'm going to talk to you like a normal person. Mm. Um, It's like, exactly. I I just love every time she does this. I don't think I'll ever get sick of Verona talking to creepy monsters casually. Um, And and it feels important too, because Avery and Lucy have sort of been doing all of the work until this point. Like it's all this really cool, like magical detective shit where like Avery's pulling on connections. Lucy sort of sensing the aura and vibe of the area. And, like, up until this point, Verona's just kind of been walking around trying not to be a burden. Um, Mm. So it's, like, very good for her that she manages to find uh, something useful.
0: Yeah. It it just kind of works out perfectly, which is great. Um, Of course, right as the things start to get spicy in the interview, Sharon interrupts and ruins things.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Which, like, okay. So there's there's like you know how we talked about how Brusto's claim interfered with clem's ability to sort of accept their offer mm. um to to get charles to tell other stuff and because there's a moment later in this chapter where i think verona is sort of like oh you know that offer is still on the table and then at like, the second they say that uh daniel and sharon enter a bit of a screaming match and clem has to run off and i very much read that as like the spirits sort of butting in and, and establishing the claim like you know, the second they're sort of encouraging Clem to think about it more, the spirit's are like, no, 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 you, you go back to Bristow. <sighs> yeah. And w- with that sort of spiritual interference in mind, I-, I couldn't help but see that here on my second read with Verona as well, because it's like the second Verona starts explicitly asking about the driver, who, like, I, I have absolutely no doubt this spirit was, that- was going to be able to tell her exactly who was driving that car mm-hmm The second we start to go down that train of thought, all this bullshit with Sharon comes up, and we get distracted. And Verona doesn't go back to visit this drain. Store. No, she doesn't. And if you just look at all the other times, like you know when they were first in the ruins in Arc Two, and there was the there was the Carmine Beast like trail, but they had to go and and watch Melissa like lose her foot. Mm. Um, there Avery almost found that clue. Uh, right at the end of Arc Four, as they were going through the ruins. Yes. and then they, they they had to keep moving so she had to just sort of leave it it's like every time they're about to crack or make a big solve in the case some bullshit means that we have to leave it and, and not go back yeah and i'm just starting to get real sus about that like it can't be a coincidence at this point
0: yeah i mean maybe that's the clue in and of itself um what if the universe itself is kind of working against them in this what's powerful enough to do that right? I, I don't think any of the Ken others are, even with like juice from the Carmine beast. It makes me think that the most obvious suspect might be the judges.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I did have the thought at one point of whether someone, I, I think it was in our Mile End Club, there was the talk in there about how alabasters can take the role of others if they think that's not they're not doing it well. Mm. And I was sort of like, that would fit in. If we're talking about like these embedded power structures and teamwork, I, it would be fitting for one of the Carmine's colleagues to have like, Killed it to take its power, um, but I think we'd notice if the alabaster was in town on the regular. Mm. Um, I suppose it does have its minions or whatever. that Avery met Starbuck three.
2: Mm. Yeah, uh, uh,
1: yeah. They did ask them about it, and they
0: denied it. So
1: yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, the only other uh, person we know who's that good at misdirection <laughs> is <He's
0: Yeah>.
1: Charles. <laughs> 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 um Yeah, like I don't. Know. I, I I was still that. This is just I, I'm still on that weird interaction um we had with Charles last week, where he was like, "Oh, Miss is still gone, is she?" Like that. That yeah. was the suspect. Charles, Mitchell. yeah, true. Like, what does he mean by that? um
0: Ah, this story. Everyone's so suspicious <laughs> in a murder <meta> mystery. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We could. Uh, we could probably just have this conversation for hours. There's so many like, ooh, but. Uh, there's so much data to sort through. I love it. <laughs> <sighs> yep. Yeah. Um. So
0: yeah. So Sharon screams. This calls over a police car, who checks them out. Um. Kind of drawn over by Sharon scream and, and it seems just kind of Charles voodoo as well. Um. <laughs> and the trio more or less manages to talk their way out of it with only a few minor promises being made.
1: Yeah. I mean the the way the police just have this sort of hate on for charles and they can't articulate why but they just they keep coming back to Mm wanting to punish him yep i I think we used to talk about charles in terms of like being an ex-con and that just feels so perfect here like there's not really a reason for it but the police are just they're they're looking for an excuse to to go after him
0: yeah 100 um poor charles (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah Clem also, I mean, th- this kind of conversation breaks out. Obviously, it's the police that's especially uh, in the current political climate uh, charged uh, interaction, um, and Lucy clearly is is fairly cautious there, um, as is Clem, who seems to have had some problematic experiences with with police officers in the past.
1: Yeah, yeah, because obviously, like, sort of what happens here is is it becomes quickly established that Lucy. Has been taught a very different way to deal with the police than Verona and Avery. Uh, as you yep. said, there's a pretty obvious reason as yep. to why uh, her family, in particular, uh, has decided to learn a different way. Is fair enough. Yeah, uh, like absolutely. Um, uh, and I, I, yeah, I really like this character moment bit where Clem kind of backs her up because you can see from Lucy's perspective how, even when you're so close to someone like Avery and Verona it would just kind of be frustrating that they don't get it in that way. Like, cause the two of them are just sort of like, yeah, but I mean, it all worked out and, and you can tell Lucy's just kind of going insane that they don't, they, they're not able to really see things from her perspective. And so it just must be so relieving to have Clem just show up and be like, yeah, you know, sometimes it's just, you, you're fucked either way. Mm.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, although in fairness to the police officer, they are more or less kidnapping and abducting uh, Sharon,
1: right? Um, yeah, but then in fairness to them, it's it's Sharon.
0: True, true. I think it cancels it out. It's um,
1: So oh, are you kidnapping so, yes. someone? Oh, yeah, she's like an alt-right YouTuber.
0: Yes, but uh, As you it's were. Sharon. We'd like to apply the Sharon defense. <laughs> oh, of course, yes, please, on your way. <laughs> um so yeah uh, the trio goes off to talk uh and lucy brings up that she has realized the significance of verona's cat fantasy earlier tonight and finally uh this whole thread comes to a head
1: uh yeah like here we go this is not everything but it's like like it's so much of what verona's entire arc has been leading up to like it's not like you know completely closed off now or anything but this is a huge part of a huge part of the story
0: Mm. yeah um and yeah it's it's kind of confronting and traumatic for verona but you know it's her chance to let her in which she does Uh, we get into a pretty good we get into a pretty good place Uh, obviously verona is uh i mean it's traumatizing right like fair enough it's traumatizing having this conversation that verona's even wanted to have finally start to unfold in front of her
1: i i really really like the way it's described at the end of this section of like verona's like it feels like there's more boxes and and weight inside of me but it's been rearranged into a way that's more manageable because that's so how having really big emotional conversations like this feels like you come out of it and there's this sense of oh shit now there's more i have to do but it's not stuck inside me and and like i can deal with it now like i i mm. not to jump ahead of it like i thought that that's such a fantastic way to describe how something like this feels mm. um yeah yeah, yeah I, I do like how right right from the get-go to go to the start of it you could tell we're not getting out of it because there's that moment where lucy's like is that the plan and verona's like well it's it's our plan and, and then lucy's just sort of like okay what are the other ones yeah and verona has nothing and no other plans moment. yeah it's like okay no we're doing this like you know you're not getting out of this verona yeah um, and yeah like that moment where she finally lets them in Wait, like, wait, like, because lucy's sort of like why won't you let me in and verona's just like because like look at my dad look at my mom like i can't I, yeah, I either she do does that.
0: let you in and becomes her dad, or she doesn't and becomes her mum. Is what she thinks, obviously false. Yeah. but um, yeah, it's it's rough. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, like this this is such an emotional scene to read, and yeah, I, and because so Verona's cat solution, like I, I feel like this is the clearest insight into the motivation behind it that I've had. It's you know she she either opens up and becomes her dad is what she thinks or she closes up and becomes her mum. so if she takes this third option of becoming a cat and just kind of not engaging with it at least that's a decision she's making that is not her parents
0: do you know what i've just made the connection to elliot i don't know if this is a fair connection or not so you tell me you know how um teen it's it's teenagers it's especially teenagers And it's this thing where, I don't know if you had people like this in your school when you were in high school, Elliot, or middle school for the Americans, Uh, but people who would like kind of role play animals, especially cats and dogs, in the sense of they would kind of take on mannerisms similar to a cat or a dog where they would like, rub their head against somebody or something like that, that kind of like awkward thing that you do. And in my opinion, I'm not, you know, maybe I'm being a bit armchair psychiatrist here, but what it is is a way to kind of normalise what what was the stigma of like not, you know, it being uncool or or unacceptable to like seek affection, but putting it through the lens of an animal kind of normalises it or makes it okay, even though in this direction it definitely makes it a bit more weird. I'm kind of connecting that now to what Verona is doing in the sense that she wants to be able to show affection for her friends but worries that she can't do it in a way that will make her like her dad. So all she can really do is kind of fit it into this box where it's acceptable to have affection, and that box is, you know, a, a pet relationship.
1: I I didn't have people like that at oh, okay. school, but I went to a very weird school. So that, that could just be uh, Yes, Yes, oh, such um, a weird school. You didn't have people pretending to be
3: cats and dogs.
1: Oh. <laughs> um yeah I, I i think there's something to that i i think verona's thinking about it differently because her goal is to just chop that part out of her like i think it's no mm. accident that that snippet when we got her bedtime reading uh after 4.5 it was specifically the the thing we were reading about was like how to chop parts out of yourself and i feel yes, like what true chop out is that part that is like emotional i guess mm. um or or you know the sort of emotions that come to being a burden. Mm um yeah like i i sort of connected it more to this like she has this idea i i had friends in in high school middle school who um you know that person who like doesn't like anything that's mainstream because they they don't want to be like typical or anything so they they always hate something that's mainstream and they like the things that are different yeah and i mean you know like it's a trap i fall into every now and then um as well but because it's that whole thing where it's like if you are choosing to like things based on whether they're popular or not, y- yeah. you're just as controlled by what's popular as yes, the people who course. just like things because they're popular. Yeah. Um. And, like, that's sort of the counter argument I would make to Verona's case here is like going for some radical third choice of becoming a cat is still sort of letting your parents define your decision mm. as much as going the other way. And, and like that's not to say. I have a better solution or like, you know, everything we do is probably going to be defined by our parents, regardless of how you look at it. Like that shit's always going to be traceable, especially with a relationship to your parents, like Verona has. Um, but like, I, I think the idea that becoming a cat is escaping your parents, controlling the decision is, is something that doesn't ring true to me.
2: Mm. Mm.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. You're right that she's almost, she has, well, not almost, she has explicitly talked about, uh, cutting parts of her humanity away. so maybe my analogy isn't quite correct i i think it is just the fact that it's a cat that makes it stick out to me
1: (laughs) Um, i i I think it is like a fair comparison to sort of what she's thinking because that is what she's trying to do is is find a way to allow herself to function without turning into either of her parents and that is turning into an animal it's kind of a magical blown into a thousand times version of like the the real problem, mm,
0: yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Lucy and Avery vow that they won't let her nightmare come true, and when we get the resolution of this uh, idea,
1: yeah, yeah, it. might I love, I love this moment so much. There's a bit in the text where, um, I think it's Lucy is like Verona, you need to take five seconds, or maybe it's Avery. One of them tells Verona to take five seconds, and each one of those five seconds is its own paragraph. And it's so powerful just to like make us as readers also really feel that pause. Because I, I think everyone's probably emotionally driven as they're reading mm. this segment. Um, so it's like a pause just as much for us as it is for Verona. Uh, it's really cool. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we get the
0: vows. Uh, oh, actually, uh, maybe we should touch a bit more on it as we g- get up to it um the way that lucy responds in this situation which is i think she's again just she's so good at this she just (laughs) she is supportive to verona but not letting verona just be negative right she she prods and pushes verona enough to
1: to get to the heart of the conversation while still supporting her like man lucy 10 out of 10 yeah, I'm gonna be honest. Lucy handles this conversation better than I think I would have been able to. Mm. Um, it, I, I think she does such a good job of like actually listening to Verona, like making it clear that she's hearing and understanding Verona, but at the same time, sort of beginning to challenge those like conclusions. But like that's sort of easier to do when you make it clear that it's like I am hearing what you're saying. And like I understand what you're feeling. I just think like your conclusion is wrong because like blah blah blah. Like I think th- that's sort of why it works so well.
2: Mm. Yeah.
1: Um yeah. But he, yeah. And like obviously Avery does well as um the in text and out of text third party um here. Uh this there's, there's that moment where like Avery butts in and then they make the like all the butt joke and it's just such a shit joke, but that, that's like the reason that they all fall into this like giggling fit. And I think that, that was the <laughs> moment that impacted me the most in this whole section. <laughs> because there's something about like being in the middle of like a serious conversation, or like a fight. I, I don't want to call this a fight, but it's like fight adjacent. Um, it, it's like a, a really emotional conversation. And to just yes. be able to take a, a 30 second break for that, to laugh at like a not even good butt joke. Well, it's a tension
0: release, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and then and then just to to come back and segue back in the conversation, like that's that's to me when you really feel how tight the bond is here, that this conversation can survive survive the butt interruption, um, and then get like back on track. I I I don't know for some reason that that to me is just like that was a moment where I was like these three are going to be all right because they've got each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: It's so great. I mean, it's such a great moment. Um we've kind of been thinking about Verona and, and how she can get her way out of this, but it's it's something that she can't get out of herself, right? And it's like she needs firmer reaffirmation to, to be her kind of base, her foundation of support here. And this is such a tangible affirmation. It's literally them, you know, I mean, that's the thing about magic, right, is they can magically bind themselves to guarantee that they will support her. And it's more than she would ever have asked for, but it's also so helpful to to get her to a better place
1: yeah because like one of the core facets of the other verse from a like this is how i sell it as a story is this this mechanic of practitioners and others having to tell the truth because mm. and, and, what it means is like promises mean so much in the story and that just like like this is you're right this is just an example of why that that's so important because you know like in any other story the moment where they're like you know we promise we won't let that happen to you it would feel big but like the knowledge that this is a promise they legitimately have to keep Mm. makes it so much bigger and better and i mean that's just what the other verse is about is it's about using these mechanics to make these moments bigger through the magic to kind of amplify
0: the drama i guess
1: yeah and like it's yeah it's so cool like the the fact that yeah, like it, the fact that practitioners have to tell the truth is always one of the first things I go to when I'm trying to sell this universe. Like, I just think it's a fantastic mechanic on top of like the spirits and everything else, which are a bit harder to one sentence summarize. Mm. Um, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And as as you said, like Verona is lifted up by the others. Like, if you if we go back to her nightmare that she had, like, mm-hmm. what was kind of truly horrifying about that nightmare was like the only person she had was Melissa. Yes, um,
0: she'd been and, given up on by, or yeah, no, she hadn't. She had given up on being helped.
1: I guess. What was still like, like Avery drifted off, and then it was like Lucy gave these like token efforts of like, like Lucy went as far as, oh, you know, come and have dinner with me, and didn't really fight Verona saying no. Mm. And what's di- what is between the nightmare and real life is that Lucy's like, no, fuck that. I, I'm going to put myself in a position where I'm not allowed to do that. Like I will fight for you, and. Yeah. Like, while well, we're tying it to the nightmare, remember the, the nightmares, I think we talked about this when Verona had a nightmare, like they were mm. originally introduced in terms of her dad and it was like, oh, the nightmares either make people worse or they make them better. And for Verona, it's actually kind of helping because what she was able to do is then express this concern to her friends and her friends were able to lift her up. And it, it, like that's that's what Verona's dad doesn't have. Like, you know, <laughs> he doesn't have a Lucy or an Avery to... true like the only person he's got in his life is Verona and he's poisoned the fuck out of that relationship. Yeah. Um, and we'll get to that as well. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, it's just, you know, like to come back to the, the themes of like teamwork and community in this story, like that's Verona doesn't lift herself up here. These, these nightmares and stuff help her articulate how she's feeling to the people who do matter. And they are able to lift her up. And yeah, it was the same with Daniel and Clem. Like they, they got through it together. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, it's just beautiful. It's lovely. Um, yeah, it, yeah. This conversation is such an important part of the story as a whole to me. Like this is, you know, Verona wanting to turn into an other has been a thing since Arc One. So this was, I think, this was a, a big emotional beat for the entire story, and it 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 worked perfectly for me. Like absolutely delivered on. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh,
0: there's. Uh... It's not perfect because there's this thread throughout this entirety of this chapter where Verona kind of thinks to herself that she doesn't want to be a crybaby. And she thinks it during this scene as well. And it's just like, Verona, let yourself have emotions. It's okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because, I mean, that said, like, this isn't the end of the problem. Like, you know, we're going to talk about her dad in a minute. And yeah. it's it, we didn't fix things. All we did was, like, got everyone on the same page where, like, Lucy and Avery have promised to help her she's promised not to turn into a cat without actually checking with them first. So it's not the end of Rhonda's story, but it's such a huge chapter for her to actually be able to express this properly to Lucy and Avery.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. (laughs) Um, Also side note, we should talk about like Avery literally starts to glow with her little check marks (laughs) and the letters she writes on herself. As she had like Avery has her own little, like badass moment of of like you know i i will join this this vow and she like her gold check start glowing which to me was like you know her her confidence in herself and and just her being so awesome right now that the glamour is sort of glowing
0: mm. <laughs> yeah yeah which let's read as a positive
1: yeah i'm choosing to I, I i i still team gillamaze secretly not the worst and mm-hmm. Like you know, this this is the sort of thing where if, if glamour represents the lies we tell ourselves, it's just kind of canceling out the ones Avery's doing. It's like you know, for Daniel, it was a harmful drug, but for Avery, you know, with this type prescription she's getting from Gil- Dr. Gillumay, like mm-hmm. maybe it's it's helpful. It's like like I think Adderall, it, it, like Adderall's like you know prescribed for people with ADHD, right. But I'm pretty sure it's actually like it's an amphetamine, right? Like it, it's very similar chemically to meth and has kind of similar effects on the body. It's just you know for for people with with ADHD, that's that's what their brain needs. Whereas for for you know someone who doesn't have ADHD, it's not what you need. Mm. Um, it, maybe glamour can be the same. You know, maybe just a, a regulated use of glamour is something that can help Avery. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, Sometimes right. we need uh, to tell lies to ourselves a bit to keep our sanity. Yes, or, or to cancel out cancel out the lies we're already telling ourselves. Like because Avery's constantly beating herself down.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, yes, that's a way to read it. It's hard to, you know, it's still worrying.
1: I don't know. I have faith. I have faith in Guillemet and his checkmark solution.
0: Okay, we will see. Um. So yes, uh, the, the trio rejoins the rest of the crew and they drive on and catch up to the teenager's car, which is crashed in the ditch in a ditch, uh, with the teenagers and the carmine cube nowhere to be found.
1: Yes. The the mystery deepens for a little bit, at least uh, the, the extra material this week kind of clarifies exactly what's happened here. Mm. I think. Yes. We, I guess we can get to, to that later. Um, There's a bit of kind of,
0: you know, timeline thoughts, but I think we'll get to that during the newspaper because it does clarify some of this stuff for us.
1: Yeah, yeah, let's just get there. But, like, overall, my takeaway from from this whole thing is it's a mess. Yeah, definitely. Um, So, yeah, uh, next uh, they kind of
0: follow along. They're kind of exploring, poking around. Uh, And before before, um, the tenants head off, uh verona takes sharon's laptop and just kind of messes with it a bunch this is a final kind of fuck you uh
1: yeah i mean this is great i especially love there's like a moment where verona starts going through and like deleting videos and lucy's like hold on guys like i know she's shit and her her career is shit but let's not like ruin her livelihood that might be bad karma <laughs> yeah. and verona just sort of passes the laptop over to her and like shows her what she's deleting yeah, and Lucy just kind of immediately won eighties. It's just like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> like how, I... how shit how shit is this content? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Lucy it... just took one look at it and was just like, yeah, okay, let's get this out of the world.
0: I just I mean, I feel a bit skeevy about it, but also it's Sharon. I mean, it's like Wobbo's gonna try hard to make us uh, you know, um uh, to to make us relate to Sharon a bit or feel for Sharon a bit, but um yeah, I don't know. It's not, it doesn't quite get there. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I was definitely on team delete toxic garbage.
0: Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, the trio then speak with Charles a bit and pick his brain a bit about the BHI, which is uh, nice, filling in some blanks there.
1: Yeah, this conversation that maybe should have happened a while ago, Charles. Like, you know, why didn't he tell them about the other people? Yeah. Um, something that it's kind of raised
0: for me that I had not really considered before is, you know, obviously we know Alex is a snake, but Charles had a closer connection with Ray and Durashay than we really thought, or than I had yeah. kind of clicked onto. Um, is Ray fine with what happened? I mean, Durashay could see being okay with it, whatever, but Ray, at least back then, especially when he was still Rad Ray Sunshine,
1: like, is he
0: fine with what happened?
1: Well, I suppose Charles wasn't part of the crew, right? He was, uh, he described himself as like, you know, this specialist, the animal trainer. Like Mm. he wasn't wasn't a part of the main crew. He was like tangential to it. So he may not have, but like something that Charles talks about here is when he was around these people that you sort of have to make excuses for and that are kind of shitty, it's not as hard as you'd like it to be. Mm-hmm. And maybe Duruchet and Ray are, are kind of there. Cause, cause I think that, that rings very true to me that like, when you just are around shitty people all the time, it just sort of infects you a bit and it becomes a lot easier to excuse that behavior and not question it. Mm. So like, maybe they're too stuck in the sort of bullshit system. Alexander thrives in to have genuinely thought about it much. Mm. Yeah, I guess
0: that's, it feels like a bit of a cop-out though. Like, I mean, I guess that's what, it, I mean, that's what we're talking about with practitioners is that they, they don't think enough about the systems that are propping them up, I guess. Um, yeah. Like just that's another not to example say that they, it.
1: they shouldn't. Yeah. Like this isn't to say that they shouldn't feel guilty about it or they shouldn't be forced to confront it. I'm just saying like they, it just, it may not have, they may just sort of have been in the system long enough that it just didn't really register as important to them or that important. And mm like that is something we should challenge because that's exactly the problem is if you know you spend all your time around like you know business people or whatever you you know if you're around ceos all the time you may start to think of like what well, like you know minimum wage workers as numbers like just that that yeah. thinking will infect your your way of thinking if that's what you're around all the time and that's that's exactly what we do need to change yeah like you can you can imagine the Kennedy going to Ray and being like, what did you think of Charles? And Ray just sort of being like, yeah, what happened to that guy? Or like, Oh, uh, like kind of avoiding the question. Cause he doesn't want to think about it. And, and them sort of being able to challenge that. It's like, no, that's a really shitty thing to do. This guy's life was completely ruined over fucking nothing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I,
1: yeah, I don't know. Uh,
0: it's, it's crazy that they, I mean, I guess we don't know that nothing has come from... We don't know that Ray hasn't done something to try and support Charles, I guess. But there's been no evidence of it. So we uh, also have uh, no reason to think that that would be there.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting. Like, I hope that this will lead to a conversation where, like, next time we're talking with Ray or Durachet, that the candidates bring it up. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we'll see. Um, uh, So, yeah, uh, then... We we kind of get back into Kennet and the trio are hanging out with Edith now, going around and just like
1: cleaning up all the all the stuff that snuck in. Yeah, and are we sure Edith isn't an ice spirit? Because she's fucking cold blooded. <laughs> this is brutal, isn't it? Um I I'd like to draw attention to the fact
0: that not only does Edith go around killing these folks, fine, um, but Edith is Maybe. also collecting their hearts. She collects their hearts and adds it to a pile of hearts. Edith, <laughs> what are you doing? Why is that not being questioned?
1: My, my theory on that is that she's doing that to help rebuild the perimeter. That kind of oh, sounds God, like the sort of so. shit Charles would have used to build yeah. the perimeter. Yeah, true. Um, but it's certainly... Like again, I know I went off on this last week, and I'm going to do it again here. But like th- this sort of shit is exactly kind of like, is can it really all that that like you know if they're building this on the heart of of people they didn't like getting in? Um, <laughs> like yeah. I think it was I think it was last week that I was advocating for we should question why they didn't let the pig dog man in. Mm. Um, and this this is sort of an extension of that. Like I. There feels like a bit of an elitism to Kenneth in the sense of, like, they, they're very selective about which others seem to be allowed in. Mm. Um, like, Edith says, oh, we're going to have to grow the town, but we'll be very careful about who we bring in, yeah. um, which is funny, because they let, like, six extra goblins in a while ago, and that was barely an afterthought, apparently. Mm. Um, but, like, the other person we have here uh, is this guy with the number on his back, and... Mm yeah like they don't let him in and i kind of i get that but at the same time like now whenever they're not letting another in it's sort of i feel like that's a data point for us to sort of look at it and be like well who who is allowed in why do some people get to make the cut and not others
0: yeah i mean if so we know for example uh pig dog man applied last time right and didn't make the cut is he going to make the cut this time that's a question that i have um I don't know. I don't think so. I hope not. Fuck. But we'll have to see when we get some new characters added to the mix. You know, what's uh, what data points that gives us? You're right.
1: See, you say I hope not for uh, Mr. Pig Dog Man. But if he's abiding by the rules of Kennet, like, true, is he, maybe he's not that bad. Like, that's this whole thing for me. Is is like Kennet has these sort of rules, and it's like, okay, you're just evicting people who you know can't follow them, or like. Because we talk so much about how the Blue Heron Institute is elitist because they're only allowing humans and it's only rich people who can pay the tuition that get mm. in. Um, can it, wait, well, yeah, can it so selective about which others are sort of allowed in that I, I can't help but feel that there's some, they've got their own version of, of these entry criteria?
0: Well, presumably it's just can we find a set of rules that you'll agree to that is not super disruptive? I mean, why would they turn someone away who's a docile other? I don't think they would. Yeah, but like, okay, we had the Hungry Choir in town, like, right? And um, presumably, like, the Hungry Choir agreed to some
1: level of. I mean, no, we, no, they didn't, did they? Like, they had, they took Gabe. Like, like, I, I, like, I, There's just this high horse they seem to be sitting on. Wait, right? and uh, of like, oh, we can't let the pig dog man in. He's this like foul yeah. boogeyman or whatever. Yeah, um, the Hungry Choir, but it's like
0: invalidates that completely. But maybe they couldn't stop the I, hungry I don't think choir. They, I don't
1: know. Yeah, I, I think the hungry choir was very much a nobody wanted it there. They just couldn't get rid of it.
0: Had it be created with a with the older stuff?
1: Yeah. yeah. But like, yeah, I don't. It, it's just like, yeah, like I don't know. All this stuff. I'm just curious still to learn what are these decision points they're using to decide, and that's why I can't wait to see who we meet as the new people and. Because presumably there'll be a discussion there about like what old rules were we using to pick people, like and why did we sacrifice them here? And 'cause that that's something I just really want to get into, I think. They'll tell me a lot about what Kennet is.
0: The thing about it is though, like when they say, Oh, we're gonna have to let more people in, what that really means is we're going to have to relax our standards for what level of collateral damage we find acceptable. That's really what is gonna have to happen, right? Um Yeah. Which is worrying.
1: <laughs> well, but that tells us that's going to tell us so much about what their priorities are, True. what their priorities were, like what yeah. restrictions existed, yeah, and why are we relaxing them? Like, there's so much info to be mined there about the foundation of the town and what Mrs. Secret plan for it was. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so oh, 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 mm-hmm. hold on, but before we move on, can we can we also talk about this this guy, the number uh, just, man, like on yeah. his own? Yeah. The the guy with the number in his back. Yeah. Um, because okay. So his whole thing was he these people can sign up to have this number put on their back, and then when they reach 7919, uh like there's a mini apocalypse, sort of lo- localized apocalypse there. Um mm-hmm. and so the, you know, there's a sense of like, oh, it's it's kind of a shitty thing to do to sign up for it. But at the same time, it's like when you do, you get a bunch of like low level boons. Yeah. And this guy sort of explains he's an other and it's like the only difference he has from a human, according to him, is like he can swim well and breathe underwater. Yep. But he gets hurt by all of the bullshit that gets thrown at others. Like, you know, kind of similar to Matthew and Edith in a lot of ways of like uh, shot down just for being not quite human. Not Um, worth it. Right yeah yeah exactly like this isn't the sort of person that needs to get targeted by any of this stuff seemingly um and so it kind of seems like he you can see why someone like that would take this deal where it like sort of protects him and it feels kind of shitty because then he he can't get into kennett because because he's got this number and it's sort of like you know if he'd gotten here first maybe he would get into kennett you know mm-hmm. like i feel s- sorry for the guy it's sort of like you know people who work for like the petroleum industry or something where it's sort of like you know you're enabling an industry that's killing our planet and and bringing on climate change or whatever but if you look at like an individual ground level worker i also get why well people need to eat right people need to survive yeah you need you need a job and you you know so it's like i can see why you've made that that choice and I, i can't begrudge it to you foolingly uh, yeah, I, that, that's what I sort of see with this guy. Is He's like just this, this ground-level person. So he didn't have access to CanIt when he made that choice, presumably. H- having
0: um, said that, though, if it was, you know, if, <laughs> it, it, let's say if BP had a, a public commission statement where they said, and as soon as we get 8,000 employees, we're going to launch a bunch of nukes, right, you'd kind of be like, you know what, maybe I can be a little less empathetic to people who sign on to work for them.
1: Is it just because there's not as concrete a number on it? I mean, I don't think that's not. I think eight thousand is a really low. Eight thousand is a
0: low number, right?
1: Yeah, it is. It is. It's a really low number.
0: It's a lot. I mean, it. I guess I. I get that it's an exaggeration of this of the principle of like you know people not being able to comprehend small contributions contributing to this kind of global problem and not really understanding the scale of that. But man, putting it in. in terms of uh just 8000 people i'd be like shit man that's like a really like if you're agreeing to be one of the 8000 not even eight thousand, seven thousand nine hundred, right then it's like i don't know that's a low number
1: <laughs> yeah but something like bp is global if if you know that this is only happening in like rural canada you know like may, maybe this is only happening in one corner of of ontario right mm. so you'd be a little bit easy easy to sort of be like oh you know if if it's just me and i really need this then you know i can see someone making that choice i can like i can see myself getting desperate enough to make that choice and then feeling kind of shitty about it and not or feeling like i i still kind of judge this guy for taking this choice like i get that his life was hard and shit beforehand but also being one of 8000 people who might cause the death of millions is a shitty thing to do <sighs>
0: Yes, it is. <laughs> I, I guess the distinction is I I think it's fine that this person well maybe not fine. I, I'm more okay with this person being murdered than with a random employee of BP being murdered because it's so obviously so, like you making that choice is on a higher level of a much higher level of selfishness, you know?
1: I, I mean I don't know. I think about the oil spills that happen every year or two and I don't I don't see it yeah. I don't know. I, mm. I get what you're saying. I don't I don't know if I discern the difference as much
0: fair enough i, suppose. I, I think
1: especially because he's already he's already made the deal yes. this is the other thing as well like as long as you could stop him from reproducing um somehow i don't know wait i, I guess they couldn't get him to agree to that so they just have to sabotage his dating efforts um, well
0: but wait i thought killing uh, but, him reduces you know, the number like, by one still right like it's like a color oh, does it have to be Eight thousand 8, alive is my read. Because then Edith delivers her badass right. line of yeah. adjust your count to be one lower and blasts the right,
1: right, right. Um yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I feel like I'm at the point where we'll start talking in circles about this. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um so of course it's a Verona chapter. And so we get to the part that we all knew was coming. Verona goes on ahead to speak with her dad.
1: Yeah, which if you transport yourself back about a month, that was the the primary reason we were going to come to ken at at, at one point tonight um yeah
0: he's really not in good shape right like we see him and we kind of threw around some ideas about is he faking this to get her back that that's gone he he clearly is in a bad enough state that he actually genuinely needs her to be a caretaker for him in the short term
1: yeah and i think i think i always Assumed that was probably going to be the case, just because that is actually worse. Yes, but he ge- he genuinely needs someone to care for him for these eight weeks or whatever. Mm. He is no- He's made it clear he's not in the financial position to hire someone to do that. Like because all he ever fucking talks about is how much money shit costs. So yeah, I mean, like who who else could he get to do it apart from Verona? Like he can't afford to hire someone. Wait, like, so yeah, like we. Yeah, Verona makes that comment of like, Alpi, you better step your nightmare shit up because this is so much worse. Mm. And it's like, yeah, it is. This feels so unavoidable. Yeah. Um
0: Yeah. And it's, yeah. I
1: it's interesting.
0: It's I know that it's not gonna last, but he does at least seem to be trying to be good. Like he makes a lot of genuine efforts to be
1: st- Uh, the best we've seen him right (laughs) i i think yeah i think for once it's because he he, like he kind of is in he's more right to be asking of this than he usually is when he asks Werner for stuff and i think he for once he sort of understands that he's asking something serious of her and he's like treating it with the appropriate weight um like i think that's sort of what it is is like you know even he sort of realizes that like he genuinely needs this help And he is asking a lot of Verona to ask her to do it for him.
2: Mm.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. (sighs) There's, I mean, the moment where it
0: turns for me is he, he's being very appreciative. He's being as good as we've seen him. And then he says, Verona, I really do appreciate this. Could you get me a ginger ale from the kitchen and open a second one to let it go flat? And that by itself (laughs) is very innocuous, right? Um, that's fine. That's a normal request, whatever. In, in isolation, there would be nothing weird about that. But it's just like, it feels exactly like the weird, like, bossing her around power trip stuff that he's expressed in the past. I don't know what it is. Just the fact it's the, and open a second one to let it go flat, which is just such a, a like, a, a slightly strange, weird power trip kind of request
1: that it just, it, yeah it it just feels so in- indicative of what the next eight weeks are going to be. Yes. R- right. Like it's yes. just, it's sort of like, Hey, I do really appreciate this. And then it just sort of already puts her to work. Like, I, I think I talked about like how I felt a little bit Verona's daddy when I fucked up my leg a couple of months ago. Mm. And I definitely had this moment with my housemate where it was sort of like, Oh, like I can't really walk properly or anything like, um, you know, are you in a position to help me out like a little bit with some stuff and and she was like yeah like of course and then it was sort of like because I was like sitting there and I couldn't really get up I was like could you get me a glass of water and I was like the fact that I had to ask as soon as she'd sort of agreed to it felt shitty because I was sort of like hey can you help me so like, yeah I was like cool for starters like I, I I felt shitty doing that and I sort of feel like that it's that same shittiness that it, her dad is leaning into here where it's just like the second she sort of like he thinks she's agreed to help out. That he's just sort of like, okay, well, first task.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah,
1: um, yeah. It
0: definitely is like a flag of like, hey, things are going to be rough for eight weeks, and this—that's the last thing that he says to Verona before she goes off and makes a diagram, breaks the connection, ensuring that she can slip away.
1: Oh, I, I don't know. With this, like, uh, okay, is pale reflections as a podcast? Are we pro Verona drawing? this diagram or not mm. um
0: i am not pro i mean oh, fuck. i don't know i i guess i'm pro against it in the short term uh pro for it sorry in the short term but it has this sense of a real sense of finality to it i guess the fact that it's eight weeks like this is a diagram that she's set up to last for eight weeks which means she's not coming home for eight weeks that's enough that she might just be like well let's just make it forever you know And I guess that's fine. I guess that's good. It just feels rough. Uh,
1: Yeah. I mean, even in the short term for me, I don't, I can't decide if I think she did the right thing here. Cause I don't, I don't want her to stay. That's obviously the worst. But just leaving him by himself and cutting him off like this also just feels like, I don't know. Sometimes you do need to go no contact from your parents. And if that's what she's doing here. I I can't bring myself to say that it's wrong, but at the same time, doing it like this doesn't feel right. I don't, Mm. I don't know. I feel like I could talk about this for hours and still not feel confident in how I feel about this. It's such a fucking mess. It is, it is. And even Rona has this sense that it's wrong. Um, Yeah, well, doesn't she sort of think to herself as she's doing it? Like, she has to do this. She can't just tell him no because he might give her a reason that works, Like, so even in her head, there's a sense of there is probably a scenario where I feel this is the right thing to do. And I don't, I'm not willing to confront that, which adds a sort of a bit of a, a dirty aftertaste to it. Mm. Yeah. Um, but also she can't do it. She can't, like, she could, like you can't, can we make Charles do it? Is like, does Charles have a, Charles just be Verona's dad's nurse for a couple of weeks? <laughs> Would that help anything? I mean, it means Verona doesn't have to do it. True.
0: It would help with that.
1: I mean, would that be, would you, would you rather be Verona's dad's carer for eight weeks or take on Louisa's like illnesses? Mm. Yeah. That could be, that could be our discussion question. Yeah. Good,
0: (laughs) good discussion. (laughs) Leave your answers in the discussion threads.
1: Submit your answers. Now, what, what is the worst thing? uh, Has has Charles done anything worse than be Verona's dad's nurse for eight weeks? (laughs)
0: that's the, that's it i will have to draw the line there surely um <laughs> so yeah i guess we will see how you know how permanent the ramifications of verona's diagram and decisions here are um we don't know for sure so i guess we'll see we'll have to wait and see um but that takes us out of 5.5 and brings us into the bonus material which is the kennett caller the newspaper the local town paper around kennett uh helps us find out all the things going on around town
1: Main story, of course, the headline being uh, the missing three teenagers. I mean, this is extremely entertaining as a premise for an extra material segment. Like, mm. just it, it's a lot of fun getting to see things through the kind of innocence perspective. Yes, uh you, you know all the all the extra, oh, extra little Easter eggs. Bobo got to chuck it. Like, it's just a very fun premise. This is a great, great yeah. chunk of extra material.
0: Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Um, there's, I mean, yeah, I love seeing things from the from the uh, innocent perspectives. But we something that I liked here is that we get a bit of a time frame in the paper for the for the accident and the three boys murder. Um, and it was kind of hard to use this to rule out anybody as being suspects based on the time fuckery that happened from the watch. But we do get some specific hard timelines here. So let's run through it. The accident, the car crash, happened at 8.25. The three boys didn't leave the scene until 9.30. They stuck around, you know, were talking to police, whatever, until 9.30. Left the scene around 9.30 and uh, presumably died around 15 minutes later, which is 9.45. Yeah? So we've got okay. a clear kind of timeline here, which means whoever did the murder needed to have been presumably... Well, if it was the same person, I guess is the, the point.
1: I, that's to, an assumption I'm making. Yeah. yeah.
0: So needed to be at the crash site at 825 and then go to catch up to the boys and presumably was there until you know left at, right after the crash and then uh came back to chase them down or something afterwards right or or was there yeah. the whole time so needed to be around Needed to be unoccupied at 945
1: basically so there's only like an hour less than an hour and a half window there for them to have actually been elsewhere yes
0: uh Here's the other things that we know that we can help to place timelines in this. Uh, Based on Sharon's phone bonus material, we know she left the scene. She messaged Clem and left the scene at 8.49. So, you know, 20 minutes after. Good. And then Sharon turned off her phone at around midnight, uh, which indicates that Clem was still entranced by then. So that kind of helps us play out the timelines a bit more. In Lucy's chapter 5.1, she identifies that it's 9pm when she catches up to the three people outside the cave before she conflicts with Daniel. So with that in place, we can pretty much identify it's not Gilamay or Marisica, because from 9pm onwards they are accounted for, right? Um, And that also means that it's probably about 8.50 when Verona and Avery split off from Lucy, which means Verona is probably with Matthew until at least around... I don't know, like 10 or 11. So Matthew, I think, also has an alibi. Um, probably Edith and, and Alpi as well, although that's a little bit less certain. Right. And that's all I've got.
1: <laughs> yeah, John, John didn't show up till the end of the stuff with Sharon, which was like uh, midnight. No, no, John afterwards.
0: was with Lucy as well at around nine o'clock. Oh, shit, no, he was too, he was too. So maybe he went off and did something in that time. That is possible. Um, but it not, leaves. Not
1: all of the goblins are accounted yes. for. There was one. Yes. um And Charles is
0: unaccounted for up until around like 2 right. a.m., presumably. Or What's maybe funny, a little like, earlier,
1: but. Because, like, one of the things we establish is that whoever did it kind of cleaned up after themselves. Yes. Uh, in the second scene. Yes. Which doesn't really speak goblin to me. No, it doesn't, uh, does it? it? Again, the exception, as always, feels like it could be Toad Slow. He's. Our crafty businessman, goblin. business goblin, yeah, um, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, again, just with with all of this sort of story, I just feel like I'm drowning in the abundance abundance of information. And it's like, this is all gonna fit like a puzzle piece when we know who did it. But for now, I'm looking at it. I'm like, I don't know what I can draw from this.
0: Yeah, I kind of feel like it more strongly rules out at least Gilliam and Marisica. and I do think it also. Helps to rule out Matthew at the very least, which is nice because he's definitely suspicious in terms of hey, it's a car, Matthew has a car, you know, that kind of stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I because Edith was already sort of at the top of our list, and, and so I guess she's not ruled out. No, For me, I feel like we had that thing from Yolda at the end of arc three, it was about who went there, two people, uh, with her, and like the, the easy guess was sort of Edith and Charles, yes. And they're the sort of two people who aren't made less suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like thinking, thinking about Charles as the ex con being the person who did it. Like if that's the metaphor we kind of use for him for part Mm -hmm. of this, if he's the one who did the murder, I guess you'd sort of really have to frame it around the system being broken, sort of broke him to the point where he felt he had to act. Mm -hmm. But like, I'm just looking at people like Alexander and Bristow as our, Power people in in this, and I can't help but notice that like what it seems to be is just the other people in power who are fucking attacking each other.
2: Mm, so yeah.
1: I don't know who that leads me to as a suspect, but just thematically, I feel like the person I'm drifting towards suspecting the most would be someone else who is in a position of power, whether that's Miss or an Al or the Alabaster or whoever.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: No, you're right.
0: And I guess the fact that we know it's more than one person means that this timeline stuff isn't necessarily conclusive. I mean, it, it maybe rules out Matthew Gillamay Marisica from the teenager's murder, but, you know. They're... Not from the whole plot. Exactly. Um, so next story uh, goes into some out-of-hand, and air quotes, celebrations around Kennet.
1: <laughs> yeah, just like a fun insight into how this crazy night that we just experienced was interpreted by like the innocence in town mm. um i love how many extra s- little horror stories that we weren't privy to are sort of addressed here like like people trying to lure kids out of windows and shit like yeah. we didn't see those others like it's just it's fun like sort of extra decoration around those events yep
0: yeah all kinds of stuff going around town um yeah well, so
1: and especially so uh, i just want to say as well so it was the night that we just went through for this arc, like that was the Monday night, and it was sort of <clears throat> like Monday night, Tuesday morning that we've just gone through with yes. like all of our characters. This is the Wednesday morning, uh, newsletter. So this is right.
0: so there's still been a day of time.
1: Yes, like This is so because it was like it was like Tuesday morning that the teenagers were reported missing. So this is like over twenty four hours after. All the events we just saw, basically. Mm. Um, which not only has interesting implications for where are the Kenneteers now, like are we about to go through a couple of days' time skip, um, but one of the things that was established was all that shit with Daniel and and the aware happened on the 29th, slash the early hours of the 30th. Yeah. This is now the first. It's Canada Day. There's a bunch of celebrations there. Like After all the shit that just went down, I feel like something big like Canada Day it's just perfect for stirring shit up, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, what what we
0: really get from all these out-of-hand celebration stories is it's just the town is degrading over time. I mean, the breaking of the barrier is almost certainly going to just make it worse and worse. I, again, I yeah. come back to Verona thinking, oh, I'm, let's get back to magic school, and
1: my thought is, I
0: mean, that's just not going to happen. <laughs> like, that's just not going <laughs> to happen, right?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the next chapter was set on a Wednesday, and or, or yeah, on this Canada Day Wednesday, and and the Kennedys were still here. Yeah, um, but yeah, just like you know, like in a world where like meaning and emotions power so much of the world, everyone having a big party for Canada Day just feels ripe for shit to come out of the woodworks magically. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's also there's a pair of stories on the bottom of this page, uh, that seem designed to, uh, hurt Melissa. <laughs> um, all the dance kids are doing really well; they're getting a bunch yep. of awards, and yep. then uh, her, someone who, I'm pretty sure it's her brother, like yes. a guy with the same surname, assuming brother, uh, has graduated and got some kick-ass scholarship. Yeah, got some dosh. Yeah, D- David Hunt on our Discord pointed out to me this could be. Bread is like positive, like this could be some of Nicolette's bullshit to like give yeah. the family support, yeah. Because it's like they, they say the this is the, well, they say this is the last year we're ever going to do the scholarship, which is like, did they empty the fund to give it like all to John? Mm.
2: Maybe, hopefully. But
1: it, <laughs> it, just the fact that it's a sports scholarship to me is just like it's it's that salt in the wound. Like, yeah, her family being celebrated for being good athletes is just exactly not what Cla- uh, Melissa needs right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's it's really re-emphasizing, hey, everyone else is doing great except for you.
1: Yeah. Like there's no way Melissa doesn't become a big deal very soon in the story, you know? Like, like we've we've had a lot of yeah. build up for a recently. feels like
0: it's uh yeah, exactly. It's it's continuing to, to focus on the impacts that it, that are applying to Melissa.
1: <laughs> and when, especially as we've just saved Verona and Clem and Dan through like people supporting each other. How like, how do we do that with someone like Melissa? like uh, like I feel like that's mm. an interesting follow up to the conclusions we've just sort of had this week. We're sort of saying, yeah, you can help people by raising them up and then you sort of take someone like Melissa who is you know pushing everyone away and doesn't want to be helped up and mm. so like, oh, what do you do? It's like Nicole said, at a certain point, you can't keep trying to help her, yeah, and that obviously applies to a certain uh father one of the can which is of course why melissa showed up in that nightmare i think yeah um, okay <laughs> so comparing melissa and verona's dad i think i no, think there's some connections fair. there and I think, I think i think that's probably that's where, where, we'll where that came
0: from for verona
1: yeah and, and i think that, okay. that's probably what we'll be touching on uh when we start to deal with melissa is how do you help someone who seems unhelpable like verona's dad mm, yeah
0: fair enough um so, yeah, we we then uh, continue through the paper with the conclusion of the missing teens story and a bit of an opinion piece about how nurses are having to deal with more and more problematic patients.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also a piece about how the town is kind of dying because, um, like, it, people leave and it's harder to get people to come out here. Mm. Uh a, a, yeah I don't know that like that jumped out to me maybe because I'm someone who lives in a small town that is you know I think small towns all over the world are going through that um mm. like the it just sort of I always notice the the health of Kennet as a town is is sort of a constant undercurrent of this story um and that feels like you know it's mapping to what is is happening here, like miss and stuff are leaving like we're about to try and recruit the other side of the town. I feel like the magical side of the town will always reflect the the mundane side Mm. so like i'm very interested to sort of track the concept of this town dying and how it relates to what's happening to it magically
0: Mm. yeah yeah you're right i mean the whole newspaper kind of has this theme of the town is getting into a really promising uh, sorry not promising problematic space right as it degrades um and it's interesting that we get in this opinion piece, you know, that exact thing happening in the the sense that the the anonymous author writes about how it feels like the town is going out with a whimper. Um, Yeah, you're right. It's, I mean, it's the flip side of the, the innocence uh, perspective, right? It's the innocence perspective (laughs) on this degradation rather
1: than on any specific uh, event. Yeah. I I guess it's just a theme that that jumps out to me because it's something I see in my real life. And so then Mm then the next step for me is thinking okay well it happening to kennet in the mundane sense means it probably maps to something that's happening to condemn it's a, happening to kennet in the magical sense and so like i'm just trying to draw lines there because mm. um, like there's even the bit there the out of hand celebration stuff opened with all the things about how the kennet police are now like ontario police it's not like a local police force in the same way mm. and and talking about the potential problems around that sort of stuff um and that reminded me of, of things like the the Kenneteers, you know, they were sort of brought in as the new police force in a way for the mm. um for the others in town. Um they're not others though. They like, they had to bring in outsiders, they had to bring in humans, and that hasn't sat well with everyone from the looks of it. Like we know Edith and Matthew have had their own issues with that as a concept. Yeah um so yeah, I guess where do we yeah. A- again, just something just parallels i'm gonna keep my eye on and see where they go
0: yeah yeah um yeah uh so something that i guess another clue i kind of kept my eyes out for clues in this in this
1: newspaper absolutely
0: um another clue is that the car is identified as a chevron floridian which i looked to see if that was mentioned before and didn't have anything it doesn't seem to match matthew's car and actually i mean i'm not a car person but i think this is not a real car (laughs) i i I tried finding if it's an actual car if you type chevron car into google images i just get a bunch of like animated cars that look like they're from cars or something else i don't know um so i don't think this is a real type of car in fact apparently chevron cars are just part of an advertising campaign of chevron uh does chevron even make proper
1: cars like there is a chevron cars limited but they make racing cars right
0: and chevron is obviously a a uh, like an oil corporation right um so i guess this is alternate reality they don't make cars so yeah i obviously i can't kind of look up what this car looks like and see if it matches anything else but it doesn't seem to have been mentioned
1: in our story before so um
0: no concrete clues there (laughs)
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm very much not a car person. So even some of the stuff where people are mentioning cars or sedans to me, I'm just like, oh, mm. I don't remember if the other one was. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, if there is a clue here, it's hidden too well for me to have actually gotten anything out of it so far.
0: Hmm. Mm. Uh yeah. So yeah. Then finally, we get to the final. Uh, part of the newspaper which is the quirky section which has a story about a strange dolphin and some fun puzzles
1: so this is clem's dolphin i'm like 99 sure um yes 100 percent it is from her dossiers page which is just fucking hilarious that this dolphin has spent 11 years fucking teleporting around the world trying to be clem's friend so that she can ride it
0: yeah um yeah <laughs> which great great i'm glad we finally got i mean i know we complained about uh i know we complained about the dolphin thing when that w- w- came up in the dossier and we didn't get the resolution um so yeah i'm glad uh
1: i'm glad we finally get the, <laughs> the resolution of that now i uh, just wonder what the monkey what the monkey paws part of the dolphin is i mean because... it's
0: it's a crazy dolphin that's following her around desperate
1: to be ridden i don't know yeah would you think it like it, it like lets her ride it into like the middle of the like, does it take it? Like, would it take her right to the middle of the Great Lake and just sort of, you know, strand her there or something?
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe hard to know. Um, now, of course, this newspaper is full of clues, and the most important part is the Sudoku. This uh, th- uh, thermos Sudoku that we have, um, or it's called a strange Sudoku in this newspaper. Uh, I solved it, and so I know what clue it's uh, giving oh. to us about the murder. Now, if you hit us with it. Well, if I guess we should put a spoiler. If you don't want to know these clues, just skip ahead 10 or 15 seconds. But if you do, the Sudoku says, there's one part of it where it says 7, 8, 9. So clearly there's a character called 7 Ooh. who has eaten a character called 9 in this story. So we'll have to keep our eyes out for that.
1: Well, 9 rhymes hmm. with Carmine.
0: Oh, yeah. And 7 rhymes with Kevin. Do we have a Kevin
1: character? Yeah, Kevin, 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 no one. The, the evil eye guy. Uh Aha! And thus it's solved.
0: Kevin (laughs) ate the carmine beast.
1: We did it. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to think of any other names that rhyme with seven. There's Uh, no Evans in this story, right? No,
0: no. Uh, Steven, which is a wrong way to pronounce Steven.
1: No, it must be Kevin. Mm-hmm. Cool. Lock I think so. Lock yeah. it in. We know um, it.
0: Put it in the power predictor.
1: No, uh, <laughs> but yeah, aside aside from this, there are like there are just a bunch of cool Easter eggs in this whole newsletter, but like this end bit is clearly just like Walbo having fun with them. So yeah. like um all the unscrambled things someone pointed out to me, they don't just have the answers that are given in the newsletter, but they also are all anagrams for villains in yes. previous Walbo works. Yes it's it's great i mean there's great stuff in there um the the cipher translates into a quote um that i think the white duke was the first person to solve um on on reddit i i don't know what to make of the quote it it seems very loaded with like path and miss related imagery mm. make what you will of that um the cipher itself, Walbo actually mentioned, is uh, it's rotating the letters by seven nine one nine, like seven thousand nine hundred nineteen. Yep, um, great. Which is of course our our old favorite number from Mister Number Man. Yep. Um, trying to think. Uh, somebody else pointed out to me. Uh, there's some fun Easter eggs in the uh, the advertisements for previous yes. Walbo works. Yes. Um. So just like I think Walbo was clearly just having fun with this. I yeah. Think what I a fun little bonus stuff. bit. Yeah, this whole extra material is just really sold by the fun both having with getting to experiment with these new formats. Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah, and that's the end of the chapters for this week. Uh, Some great stuff in there. Definitely solve that Sudoku. It's a fun one. took me a while, but a bunch of the community members have done it, so feel free to reach out if you want help with it. Uh, Let's move on to some pale predictions, which are predictions that our community members have posted in our Pale Predictor spreadsheet. Making cold shots.
1: (laughs) Uh, yes, yeah, so I've pulled out a prediction by Meiji Hao. Mm
0: hmm.
1: Meiji How? Um, Who, if you will remember, was the person who predicted the uh, pro strat of getting Charles to tell Clem.
2: Yep. Um, yes.
1: So they're on a bit of a roll. Yep. Uh, and they've put in a question for our new category, which is who at the Blue Heron Institute is helping Bristow? So remember, yes. we, we know someone is working against Alexander. Um, Oh, I think we strongly suspect. I don't think we actually know that. Um, but uh, Meiji Howe actually has said that the person who's betraying Alex might actually be Nicolette. Mm. She just doesn't know it. Mm. Um, but she is secretly working with this other coven. Yes. Like, we had that set up in her interlude. Yes. And um, Meiji Howe suspects that maybe that coven is in cahoots with Bristow, or, you know, I mean, maybe it's even Bristow in disguise. Um But yeah, just the idea that Nicolette is actually inadvertently selling out uh, Alexander to Bristow.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I
0: like it. It makes a lot of sense. makes a lot
1: of sense. It does. I think think it's even better if it is just one of... Because he has so many arseholes around him. I would feel very vindicated that he's being betrayed for surrounding himself with dipshits. (laughs) Yes. So I I do kind of want it to just... The answer be like... Uh, chase seth or or why, um yeah, wait just 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 so for a bit of just desserts, but this would certainly be a very like surprising twist,
2: mm.
0: Mm.
1: yeah, um,
0: I put out a prediction by user David L. Hunt, and I think it's important that sometimes we pull out predictions that are wrong as well. I mean, a lot of people make great <laughs> predictions, but sometimes people make predictions that are just definitely going to be wrong, and so that's what I put out for David L. Hunt here, put him on blast. Their prediction is that there are no, going to be no reveals of secret practitioners posing as normal people. Absolutely none. Especially not Grumble, Jasmine, Verona's dad, Mr. lie or anyone else. Uh, which I think is almost certainly correct. Possibly the only way this is going to be correct is because they didn't mention Aunt Heather, who I think is the most promising candidate for a secret practitioner. Um,
1: so we'll see. I Wait. Yeah, David, it's just not worth it. Like, he just won't listen. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> nice try, buddy. <laughs> it's This is just not a fight worth having. Uh,
0: if you want to leave your predictions on what's going to happen in this mystery, uh, you can do that by going to our Power Predictor spreadsheet form thingy, which you can find in the description down
1: below. Uh, yes. We're also on Twitter at MD Podcast, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's the hip and happening place to go to see the live reads, which are on a new schedule that almost went flawlessly for its first week. Uh, I think it's, it, it's definitely working better for me than the old one. Uh, yep, so good. come check them out.
0: Yeah, cool. Um, you can also uh, leave your comments on this show, on the discussion threads, on anything in our Reddit thread, which, again, will be linked down in the show notes down below. Discuss the show. Hey, solve a Sudoku. Why not? Do all kinds of cool things in the discussion threads.
1: Uh, yes. Also, head on over to doofmedia.com to find out all about, like, the other shows on Doof, because there's a bunch of them. They're pretty good.
0: Yeah, all kinds of great shows. Something that we don't talk about that much, but we probably should start talking about it more, is all the great bonus content that we do as well for our patrons. If you are a patron at the $10 a month or more level, is that right, Elliot?
1: That is correct. That is correct, yes. Doof Troop. Yes, the Doof
0: Troop level. Um, you get access to a whole bunch of bonus content each and every month. And I think we do at least one every week now. Uh, not not officially, but more or less that's how it plays out.
1: Um, we, we, in theory, have uh, at least the first four Wednesdays of every month there will be content. <laughs> which is more or less every week. Um,
0: but yeah, there's yeah. all kinds of great bonus content. In fact, we did one just recently ourselves.
1: Yes, we are. Uh, technically the third wednesday of every month uh now uh the high ground so that features ruben myself and my sister georgia uh as we give the doof treatment to a series that really needed it uh the star wars prequel movies
0: yes um it's it's great a lot of fun talking about uh these incredibly well put together crafted (laughs) movies
1: (laughs) um just solid (laughs) 10 out of 10 films um Yes, yes. So the first episode of that is out now, Uh second one will be coming soon, but go check it out.
0: Yep, uh, to get access, go to patreon.com forward slash diffmedia and ensure that you donate at the $10 a month or more level. While you're on Patreon, why not head over to Wabo's Patreon as well. Huh? He's got a Patreon, and that's how you can support him and make sure that uh, he has the funds that he needs to keep producing newspaper and Sudokus like this.
1: Yeah, well, print media is dying. Yeah, Wabo's trying to Wabo... break into it, so he needs your help. Yeah. <laughs> Bobo needs these funds to support his new his new newspaper so head on over to his patreon to help help keep the Kenneth caller alive yeah um but that's it for us for this
0: week we'll see you next week for maybe more back away might be a new arc i feel like it's about time for a new arc so we'll see um we'll see next week
1: see you then see ya